0: So this is the uh, second week of this class and it's a class about mess and the grace of God and life and uh, families that are imperfect, which would be, I think it'd cover all of us Uh, and mainly the difference at this point in time for a lot of us and maybe some other folks is that we're aware of it Um, and once you get enough mileage under you, you become aware of just how imperfect you are, how imperfect uh, your family is, even with your best efforts. And so, uh, what we're doing is looking at a few texts and just reminding of God's uh, grace and all this, God's work and all this. And uh, that's what we're doing. So, uh, yeah. So, there's some notes, and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, Uh, In a minute we'll need to shut the doors because we're going to read a little bit about Jacob. He's not for young ears. Uh, uh, I was was re-reading this a couple of times this week and uh, it was like once again, you know, I'm just going, good grief, this is unbelievable. And uh, so anyway, keep Jacob out of the bulletin and off the website. So, or else have to have a code to get to him, I guess. Let me mention a couple of commercials. I want to welcome you back, welcome you here. Some of you are here for the first or second or third time. Some of you have been here forever. Uh, Some of you naturally go to certain seats. Some of you could care less where you sit. Um, That's all right. Uh... I was telling Charlotte a few weeks ago, it was a Wednesday night, I think I was sitting right over there in front of where Don, Don and Kathleen are. And I was telling her, I said, I am tired. And she said, this is the way all of us are on Wednesday night. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, you've been teaching for years. And, and it's true, uh, before moving here, I, I mean, I, I taught Wednesday nights for years and years and years. And I, you know, I was tired, but it's very different if you're, if you're teaching a class And so if, if you need to meditate tonight (laughs) and I look at you and your eyes are just kind of, I'll know you're either in prayer, deep thought, pondering a scripture. I I really get that. Uh, I'm telling you, Wednesday night, some of us are doing good to be here. Um, I was thinking about today and I thought, you know, I have been in motion all day until uh, w- stopped by the house, Charlotte and I ate a quick meal and we're on our way here. And some of you haven't done that. And so, boy, am I, am I sympathetic to uh, kind of how you might feel right now. But what I'd like to do is, uh, we'll, we'll kind of walk through some of this and hopefully, hopefully you'll find this helpful Boy, uh, if you can come away with a nugget or two, it's been a good evening. So we'll we'll do that. Uh, Meant to tell you, I'm gonna mention this tonight because there's a new uh, post. Uh, I've written a blog for, I guess 12, 13 years now and everything I write on this blog is on Facebook. But there's something, I was talking to this uh, woman last night in Texas and her husband is dying and Charlotte and I have known them for years and she said do you know that Mike still has this article you wrote for the paper years ago on graciousness and Mike reads it every now and then and I remember writing it and I looked it up again today and so what I did was kind of reshaped it a little bit but it's about it's, it's, it's just a simple list, 10 ways to be a more gracious person. And you might look at that today and it's especially meaningful to me. Uh, we had that conversation last night and then I was just thinking about today's climate where, uh, you know, there's just a lot of rudeness, a lot of un- incivility, a uh, lot of berating, that kind of thing from all over the place. And, I think a lot of us would find it refreshing to to, to just remember what it means. Uh, Fred, Fred Craddock, one of my heroes said years ago, that graciousness is the last act of grace. That to live as a person full of grace is to be gracious. And so that's what that's about. You can find that at godhungry.org or Facebook or something. Uh, gonna think that was all the commercials. I'm gonna pray for a minute and uh, then we're just gonna jump right into this. The mess meets the grace of God, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this group of people. And I do, Lord, we're, we're, we're very aware of uh, just kind of what it takes to be here for some of us. Um, wrestling uh, with small children perhaps, or uh, just the energy it takes to, to get out again or maybe just not having stopped since we went to work early this morning. And would pray, oh Father, that for the next few minutes, uh, what we see and what we do might in some way be encouraging and uh, helpful. And uh, thank you so much for everybody here. and. In particular, Lord, we want to pray for uh, the kind of things that might be on our minds uh, that uh, at this point in our lives, we grapple with, deal with and pray for. And we ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. Does everybody have a handout? Uh, I don't know where they are, but it, if you'll, you yeah, there's some back right back here, but if you don't have a handout, there's some right back there on this lone chair, right in front of the doors. So moved to Waco years ago, met this big burly Baptist preacher, nicest guy, man, he was nice. And uh, he said, uh, he said, he welcomed me to town and he said, man, let's go shoot. Let's go target practice sometime. Let's just go shoot the guns. He said, you shoot the guns. I said, I'll shoot the guns with you. He said, I just like to get out and just shoot a target. And and uh I said, what do you, what do you shoot at? And he said, oh, usually old church directories. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I thought he was kidding. He may not have been kidding. One day I was in the office and uh, somebody said, we need to clean out the church directory. I didn't know what that meant. I said, clean it out. He said, you know, kind of purge, clean out. You know, we've got people in there that are deceased and other people that have moved away and get that thing up to date clean out. Well, you know, I chuckle about my Baptist preacher friend and I chuckle about the, whoever it was in the office that said we need to clean out the directory. But the truth is any church directory worth its salt is a pretty messy place because it's just full of people with problems, full of people with mess. And some of us are aware of the mess. You know, you just kind of look at us. We, you know our mess. You know our kids or our grandkids. You know that old second cousin that's driving us crazy. And you, you, some of us know, others of us, we don't know the mess. Uh, we're just not aware. We just grin we look at you and we go, I guess they're okay. And, and, and some of us had mess a while back. We don't have much right now. And some of us, we, we may not know it yet, but the train is headed that way. And that's just our life. That's our life. It's life on this earth, because we live in a broken world. And so we deal with mess. And so as believers, what we do is not pretend, we don't pretend mess exists and we don't act like it doesn't bother us, but instead uh, we realize uh, that we are so dependent upon the Lord, so dependent upon the Lord, right? And, and, and that we, we desperately need Him. And uh, we don't get focused on our own mess because we care about the folks. Uh, we're, we're, a part, we're all in this together, right? It's not you dealing with your thing and me dealing with my thing. So what I'd like to do for a moment is just look at uh, Genesis 29, Genesis 29, Somebody described uh, families and marriages and individuals, something like this. He used these words. Sometimes, and this is the word I've used already a few times tonight, sometimes things are just messy. Just messy, good grief. I don't know how many times I've heard, well, I just didn't know life was gonna be this way. Uh, Sometimes uh, we just feel really weak. I don't know if you've ever been there where you just feel weak uh, for for just a lot of reasons. Sometimes uh, you're in a place where you just feel scared. You're scared for one of your children, you're scared for one of your grandchildren, uh, you're scared for your marriage, you're scared for maybe a temptation you're facing. Uh, Sometimes we're just scared. Some of us are scarred. It's just a little, a pretty tender place, you know. When you bring up a su- certain subject, it's tender, you know. I can think of a couple of subjects I've, uh, uh, in, uh, that that our family has been affected by, and it's it's just kind of a tender place because uh, we've had to deal with uh, certain things in our family for for some a long time, and then sometimes we we are, we are people. we're we're, we're just struggling for whatever reason. We're just struggling. And you know, none of that means we're weird. It doesn't mean we're abnormal. Doesn't mean we're not good Christian folk. It just means we're pretty human and that we need the grace of God. So what I'd like to do is to look for a moment at uh, Genesis 29 and I didn't write this story. Uh, this, you know, you say, well, all this, this, this is pretty messy. I know, but in um, this main mop, if you teach children's Bible school, this may not be what you're going to get into this Sunday, but let's read some of this. Uh, this is Jacob. What do we, uh, what do we know at this point about Jacob before you get here? Son of Isaac had this had this brother there what? Uh, Esau. Yeah, Jacob and Esau. He yeah, stole the birthright and kind of you know clued into Mama and Mama kind of clued into him and Daddy and Esau and all that and uh, deception. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what any we know anything else here? Very disfun- very dysfunctional family. Okay, okay. <laughs> Now let's 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 take this. Uh, watch this. Go step back, and we're gonna gonna look at the larger story for a minute. The larger story involving Jacob is that he is part of what kind of promise? So a part, besides all this mess and dysfunction, he's a part of. Everybody get this? He's a part of a larger promise that first went to his grandpa, and Abraham. Uh, then daddy and him. And and the, the, the idea is that somehow in spite of the mess and the brokenness of this world, God's going to do something great. And then you read this and you think, are you sure this is the same story? Because it looks like we're headed for, for a complete crash. Here we go. Genesis 29. After uh, ooh, um. I'm going to skip. I'm going to, I'll read some of this and tell some of this. Verse four, uh, and Jacob's been on the run from Esau. Jacob asked these shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran. They replied. And he said, you know, Laban, Nahor's grandson. Yeah, we know him. And they talk a little bit. And, uh, and one of them says here, well, my goodness, here, here he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep, take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well and then we will water the sheep. Uh, Jacob apparently sees Laban and sees Rachel who we're gonna find out later uh, is quite attractive. And all of a sudden, Jacob starts talking to them about how they need to do their business and head on out. Um, Verse nine, while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep. And he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well. Big stone, rolls it away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, began to weep aloud. And he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. And so she ran and told her father. You got this scene here where she's been working with her sheep and there's this large stone covering the well. And Jacob does what any red blooded male would do who works out regularly. He goes over there and he moves that stone right? You kind of got to do something and it kind of shows anyway. So he moves that stone and he he notices her. All right. Look down at verse 14. Uh, This is where the NIV interrupts the sentence. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, stayed with Laban, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, what should you work for me for nothing? tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters and the name of the older was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel and Leah had weak eyes. I don't know what that means. Your note in the NIV says delicate, some scholars believe delicate, some scholars uh, suggest that maybe that was the only thing about, let me rephrase that, maybe that was the thing about her that was most attractive, that uh, that was her most attractive feature, in other words, I have no idea. But anyway, it's described as her weak eyes. and. lost my place. Oh, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. No comment necessary. Jacob was in love with Rachel. I'm just curious as to how that happened. But anyways, now he's in love with Rachel and he said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man, stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. What do you see here? What's your picture, by the way, of of Laban at this point? How do you picture him? Yeah, trying to get rid of his older daughter. I've followed those Dallas Cowboys for years. I have, I mean, it is so sad. And, and I follow, I've, been, I've been around since Tom Landry days and continue to, to, to follow through Boss Jerry. And I have this, this picture of Jerry Jones in this owner's box with this look on his face. And you just wonder, what kind of deal is he working? I mean, there's always something going on there are people like that you know you and I don't know if you if you know somebody like that but you look at him and you think what are they up to what are they up to this is the way I picture Laban oh yeah work that's a good that's a good idea you know you, we're gonna find out we can't really trust this guy well let's let's finish this little section here uh, Laban I'm sorry, Jacob works. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Only seemed like a few days to him because of his love for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, you could have put that on a greeting card, I think, probably to Rachel. It only seemed like a few days. Uh, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast, big party when evening came, took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant, and when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Leah, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also. How about that? In return for another seven years of work. Jacob did so, and he finished his week with he finished the week with Leah. How How's that for a romantic way to put uh, your, your first week of marriage? You finished the week with Leah. Uh, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Bilhah, to, be his daughter, uh, Rach- to, her, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. What a mess. What do you hear? A lot of deception. Where, he, where does he get some of that at least Marty or anybody? His mother, his, his, mother, his mother helped deceive his father. Remember that? I, well, Rebecca deceived oh, Where'd that, where'd some of that come from you suppose? Even before that, Abraham? I was Abraham, yeah, had some deception going on. You know, yeah, yeah. So we've kind of got all this, all this going on. And so Jacob works seven years. Uh, uh, there, there's this wedding. Now, I do not understand this. I'm just, all I, all I know is somehow on the wedding night, he ends up with Leah, and he's apparently not aware of this till the next morning. She's probably drunk. Who said that? Well, that took care of that. So he, he, he's probably drunk. And so he, he, he wouldn't know. But anyway, he apparently knew the next morning. He apparently knew the next morning. Okay. Must have been some veil then. Okay. But, but, but anyway, the, the, he's just not aware till the next morning. And when he is aware, what does he do? basically takes one look at her and wants a conversation with who? Her daddy. How do you suppose he, do y'all, do y'all speculate at all? Some of us do. How do you suppose she ended up in this position? What do you think? Leah, I'm talking about. How do you suppose Leah ended up in this situation? Okay. The, the, the second row insists that her daddy told her to. Well, she knew she was supposed to get married for her. Okay. gosh, gotcha, yeah. man kind of that weak eyes thing there, Marnie. Okay. Okay. It it, it, it yeah, uh, may, maybe kind of coupled with all of this is there, there may have been some sense of some sense of desperation, maybe, especially as she knew that this man was attracted to her younger sister. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, you see this, this, I mean, this is, this is a real, this is a real tragic situation. I mean, this, for wh- However this happened, I mean, can you imagine <clears throat> on, on the next morning, her new husband basically looks at her and says, uh-uh, and he is upset. And it, it, this may be a reminder, you know, to, to us that Uh, you know, one one of the messy places of life are where some folks are in a position of feeling like they're the ones who are, who are overlooked. There are some folks who may be perceived as having all the advantages, like her attractive younger sister. Charlotte and I knew a family, uh, years ago, um, this family had two daughters. One young woman—you uh, you, could—you could describe this girl in high school as exceptionally attractive. You could describe her sister; uh, she's she, she's a was a very smart girl, but just just pretty plain. And grandmother would come in and take. The older sister on these, I remember a trip to New York where she bought all these clothes for the older sister. It was just, I thought it was cruel. And younger sister would be, you know, I'd throw something her way, but it was just this very stark contrast here. The Bible says, if you look at the last few verses, uh, wh- is it verse uh, 30? Uh, Jacob made love to Rachel and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And we got this guy who is married to, to a sister, married an older sister. And there was deception on the part of his father-in-law. And then he, he then takes in, Rachel is his wife and then has to work seven more years. Now, what kind of mess is this? How would you describe this mess in a family? We've used the word deception, so we'll we'll, we'll say that's taken. How would you describe this mess? It's gonna get worse. It's cruel, manipulation. Yeah, manipulation, one of the first, yes. (laughs) We've actually got a number that uh, precede, yeah, but but one of the first, yeah. Uh, What do you think about the relationship between uh, Laban and his daughters? What's Laban concerned about? Himself, yeah, himself. And he's needed help and he's got help now. And he'll use his daughters to get that help. In the ancient culture, girls were basically the property of their father, had no rights. Does this sound a little familiar? This, you know, the says the custom was the older, Mary's first, and, and yet here, here is Jacob. What, what did he do with his mama back around that, back when his daddy couldn't see? you, you recall what they do? Took his what, took Esau's? Yeah, who'd that belong to, the older or the younger? Yeah, the older. <laughs> Yeah. Blessing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, 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 you kind of end up seeing some of y'all that have been around for a while. Have you, have you noticed that sometimes these, when families don't deal with things, the, the siblings just continue the mess? Was re- remember before we left Waco, there was a guy I was talking to one day, a young guy, just got married, and his wife was telling me something about him. I don't remember what it was, but what I do remember was I thought, you know, I can remember when I sat down with your mother and daddy in my office, and your mother—I w- didn't tell them this—your mother was telling me about the same thing in your daddy. If I, if I remember right now that I'm talking, I think it was something having to do with men and passivity. I think his father was real passive. And now this young husband is being real passive. And I remember, I remember his father saying, well, my daddy was real passive. I knew all three of those generations because I'd been there 20 years, you know, things that aren't dealt with sometimes are just kind of passed on, you know, might encourage us to repent and deal with things. I don't know. Well, you've, you've look at your notes if you would. Um, You know, I I think about Leah, and I think about maybe an almost desperate need for affirmation in some ways, Uh, because Leah, uh, I mean, I don't know how she's supposed to know her value when she's treated this way by her father and now she's treated this way by her new husband. Anybody ever known people that have gone through one bad experience after the other with a man? And it doesn't mean all men are bad. I mean, there's wonderful men in this room, but there, there, there are people who are just kicked to the curb, uh, you know, a few times. And and all I'm saying is this: we kind of look at this story and blow through it and. This is, a, this is a tragic story of a lot of family mess right in the middle of this larger promise that God has given to us that he won't give up on a broken world. 2925, morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? look at this word deceive for a moment. What, what are other words that, that are kind of like this word deceive? Lie. Lie. What else? Cheating. Cheat, beguile. beguile. Okay. Betrayal. Okay. What is there in a, what is, what is there in a, in us that, that would do things like that? I mean, can you remember telling a lie? 14 years ago. Can you remember telling a lie? When, uh, uh, and and it, you knew when you were doing it that, it that what you were saying wasn't right. Why are we tempted to do that? Why would we be tempted to lie or cheat or betray whatever it is? Why would we be tempted? Well, maybe to cover up something bigger. What else? Maybe my pride makes makes life easier, makes my life easier. Sometimes I may be tempted to lie or betray or to cheat because I may think that the advantage for me can only come this way. Remember one old boy walked out on his wife and he had a foul attitude and he looks at me and he says, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to look out for myself. Well, I think he's been doing that for years, but but he's declaring now he's going to do that. If if I if I if I declare that I must have the advantage, what am I willing to do to get that? What do Christian people do? What's the what's the, the what is the difference in in the ethic of being a Christian and following Jesus and me taking matters in my own hands? What's the difference? Okay, the difference is sin. But, but, but what, am I, what am I doing when I follow Jesus? Getting my priorities right. What am, I, what am I doing when I follow Jesus? I am trusting. I am trusting that He loves me, that He values me, He has my best interest at heart, and I'm gonna go there even if it seems like I'm gonna mess up my advantage. Every every uh, there's a part of my flesh, and maybe yours. There's a part of my flesh that says, "I got to watch out for me, Charlie," and you watching out for you. And and I'm being invited by the Lord Jesus, and then David, I'm being invited by the Lord Jesus to say, "I got this. This isn't yours." Does that make sense? You don't have to do all this mess. You don't have to take matters in your hands. I've got this. Look at 29.32 for a moment. Is it 29.32? This is coming through on this recording. These people, whoever is listening to it are going, does he know what he's doing? Yeah. 29.32, oh, here it is, 29.34. Uh, they, they get into this thing where uh, Leah starts having these children. The Lord opens her womb. It never says that the Lord closes, uh, Rachel's womb, but the Lord opens Leah's womb and she starts having these children. And as, as you know, um, that like Mike alluded to the culture, the culture really valued, um, childbearing and particularly bearing children who were males. And Leah is bearing these children. In fact, one of them is going to be listed in the genealogies of what, Luke three, I think, and Matthew one, Judah. But she's unable to, uh, Rachel's unable to have children, verse chapter 30. uh, I'm sorry, back up 34, uh, she conceives talking about Leah. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons and she was named Levi. Now I'm going to tell you that I saw that line earlier. This is the line that a lot of men and women are very familiar with that S- something is not right in this marriage. And if only I were more blank, he would love me. If I were just more attractive, if I just had smaller, larger, whatever plastic surgery will do, he would love me. If I could just have more children, he would love me. If our children just grow up and get out of the house, he would love me. Uh, I mean, th- this is this, this woman who, uh, you know, her first we- her, her wedding night, um, you know, her husband looks at her and, and there, there's disappointment. And he's, she's thinking, maybe, maybe he will be attached or, or, or attracted to me now that I've had these children. Meanwhile, chapter 30, verse 1, Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children and she became jealous of her sister. And so she said to Jacob, "Give me children, or I'll die." What do you call this uh, in, in today? This little exchange—a threat. But what do, what, do y'all, what do you call it at home? We're having a fight. We're having a. We're having a quarrel. Uh, man, she is upset because uh, she wants children, and she is so jealous of Leah. And Jacob became angry with her because he didn't know what to do and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? You know, we men do that. We don't know what to do. We just get mad. And, and so uh, then, then she said, she's got this idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant? And then the next thing you know, he's having sex with the servant, Bilda. And then. Leah's offering her her servant, and, and you just look at all this. And it's, ju- it, it, it's just a mess. Eventually, verse 22, the Lord remembered Rachel, and He listened to her, and He enabled her to conceive. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Um, what do you think about this story? If you've ever been in a mess and you just feel like you're drowning in this mess, and you think, "Man, I don't know what to do," and I don't know where God is, and I have prayed and prayed and prayed, and some glib Christian comes along and says, "Just turn, just oh, just just turn it over to the Lord," and you think, "Man, I turned it over to the Lord," and I and I forget all, I forget the larger picture, perhaps. Can you relate to that as well? Because I remember, uh, this has been a couple of decades ago, we were involved in this addiction involving one of my family members and it was a mess. And it ended up costing him his marriage. That's all I could think. I'd go to work and I'd think about that all day long. And drive to Dallas and try to deal with that. And just, that was all I could. And what Barry, Barry, Barry is saying here, you know, when you're, when you're drowning in this stuff, it, it, it is so helpful to, to, to remember, you know, God is at work. Uh, and, and I just, if I can just keep my head above water, He's not giving up on me. I want to mention a couple of things before we wrap up. And one is where what we did last week, and that is just remembering our value before God. Uh, I was thinking about you, Jim Chester this week. Um, I don't know why, where I saw this, but Oh, holy night. Did I hear you sing this around Christmas or something? did you lead this? Okay. I could hear your voice. Well, I looked at the first four lines of this again. Dennis, listen. "O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And you look at these stories where you think, I mean, how worthless must Leah have felt And at times when you go through mess, you just think, I guess God has just gone on because I have prayed and prayed about this and I'm not seeing one thing. And this reminder that the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ was an affirmation of the very worth of my soul. God reveals himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And in the process, he shows us who we are as well. You know why that's true? Because we are a part of a larger story, right? And so who am I? God shows us who we are. We are the children of God. My children may fail. My grandchild may be put in jail, my business may go under, but my identity is not found in this. My identity is found in who I have been declared to be, a child of God. We're created in the image of God. The image of God disfigured by our sin is being restored after the image of Jesus Christ. I preached in Millington Sunday morning and one of the images on the big screen that we looked at was this image of a cracked pot. It's, the pot isn't in a million pieces. It's being gradually put together back again with the treasure of Jesus living within. But this is who we are. So now we work out our identity in Christ no matter what happens, no matter who says what, no matter if I feel like Leah or if I feel like Rachel and I'm, you know, I'm getting all this uh, attention, m- my identity is in Christ, not in, not, in, not in my flesh, not in my job, not in how much money I make. We're called to be real but as a couple, talking about married people here who find their identity in Christ. Well, that's enough of that. Um, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it was helpful to me to read it. Um, was looking through the, the church where we were in Texas for, for a season, one of the things we did was we would pray through the church directory and it really forces you to just to think about each family and we'd go to the we'd go to a the the the, Adam, the Adams family and here we're, and we'd look at this the elders and the ministers would be in this room and somebody'd say you hear that boy's back in jail again you hear Harvey is about to lose his job Or or you might come to the Alexander family and somebody says, I tell you what, things are so much sweeter and brighter than they were six months ago. Let's praise God for this. And one family after the other, you just realize everybody's got a story. And we're just in different chapters, right? The good news is in all of this, God has this larger promise at work, okay? The trains left the station. I'm on board. Uh, Even though it's a difficult ride at times, we're going somewhere and our lives are going somewhere and we have purpose and we have destiny. Enough of that. Let's be done. Thank you all for being here tonight.